back right now. Um, so we're going to jump into the sermon this morning. Uh, we are still in Mark chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 12. Uh, we have been walking with Jesus um, through the gospel of Mark, and we see him always moving forward. Something is always happening, and, and he, is, he, he knows what his purpose is. And so the gospel of Mark is keeping us moving all the time, and we are in the last week of Jesus' life. Now, how many of you have ever heard the line or the phrase, especially, you know, all of the sports are really kicking off. Little League World Series is about to happen. We have college football starting in a couple of weeks. We have the NFL is starting to, what? Ah, get out of here. So I'm going to use you in a second. Um, but maybe you have heard the line, especially with all of the things that are going on. Every game is everything. I mean, that's a great line to say. And you hear coaches say, every game is everything, and you've got to give it everything, and, and, and that, this is the next 40 minutes for the rest of your life. And So if every game is everything, what happens when you lose that game, Michigan fans? <laughs> what, what happens, seriously, if every game is everything, what happens when you lose? Wow, I love this side of the room. Y'all got some catching up to do, okay? So where's my Penn State fans? You usually yell at me for something. Um, but but if, if, do, what, what do we do with that letdown? What do we do with all of that? Well, what I want us to see here this morning through this entire message is the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That is what we've been called to do. We must keep the main thing the main thing because only God is everything. Never forget that. Not every game, not every job, not every house, not, not every, whatever, put whatever you want in there. God is everything. And, and when we base it around the fact that God is our everything and when we put him at the pinnacle, when we put him at the top, Everything else will fill in and fall in exactly where it's supposed to underneath of that. So Mark chapter 12, we're going to read verses 28 through 31. And we're introduced to a man, I believe, who is trying to figure out everything. Okay, he's been listening to everything that Jesus has been saying. And now he has a very legitimate question. So this is what we get. Mark chapter 12, starting verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. Now, here's the thing. This is the Herodians and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They've all been, they came at Jesus and they lost, right? So after they lose against Jesus, now they're arguing with one another. And he hears all of this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So again, setting, last, last week of Jesus' life, okay, he he has already had the triumphal entry. He has come into the city. He went in. He checked out Jerusalem. He saw the temple. He saw what was happening. And then he chose to, to head back to, to um, 
Beth Page. Oh, wow. I just, Bethany, sorry. He went back to Bethany. And after going to Bethany, the next day he comes in and he does it all over again. He's going to overthrow the money changers and, and then he's going to leave again. And now he's come back in and he is really just, he's sitting in the temple. He's been teaching. He's really trying to get them to understand. He, he has completely put away the Pharisees and the Herodians and he's made the Sadducees sad. But a scribe is drawn to him. A scribe is going to come in and he's going to ask the very serious question. And he, he, he saw that Jesus answered well. I love that. He saw that he answered well. What's that mean? He answered admirably. He answered beautifully. He saw the power behind the teaching of Jesus and he said, okay, I want to know more. And so he comes to Jesus and he asks him a question. Now the title scribe here, it's one who copied down the scriptures. But it wasn't one that just sat there all day and copied down the scriptures. But he knew, the scribes knew the law. They kind of knew it inside and out. And they often became like lawyers. Because they were the ones that when anybody had a dispute, they would be the ones that would rule on the dispute. So this time, for the first time since Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem, this is going to be the first time that a solitary person has come to ask Jesus a question. This is the first time. So far, they've kind of been ganging up on him, right? But now, it's a one-on-one -on -one kind of a situation. Now, there's all kinds of people around, but only one person is going to ask this question to Jesus. And he says, which commandment is the most important of all? He wants to know which one carries the most weight. Which one is most important? Which one is foremost out of all of them? I mean, here's the thing. These religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they sat around all day long and just debated the law. And they loved to fight with one another and argue with one another about which one was the greatest and, and all of these things. And so they wanted to categorize the laws. So if I were to ask you today, so tell me about the commandments in the Bible. What would you tell me? How many are there? Yeah, 10. Yeah, oh, 10, right? Yes, absolutely. Go read Leviticus. There's a lot more than 10. Okay, 613. That's how many laws there are. Here's the problem. These Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, they said there's 613. Well, we're going to add some more. <laughs> because they felt like they knew better, I guess, than God. But when it all broke down, the Pharisees had counted all of them up. 248 were positive, 365 were negative. That means that there was a, a whole list of what you can't do for every day of the year. For them, a don't a day kept the devil away. <laughs> every once in a while, I love it. So as Dr. Seuss put it, now here we go. Sometimes the questions are complicated and the answers are simple. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do here. The answer Jesus gives is simple, yet it summarizes the entire teaching of all of Scripture. What's Jesus say? He says, love God and love your neighbor. That's it. That's what Jesus says. Love God and love your neighbor. If you want to keep the main thing the main thing, remember that Jesus and God are everything. That's what we have to hold on to. So notice that at this time, so far when Jesus has been asked a question, what's he done? He's asked a question. That doesn't happen here. 
And I truly believe the reason that Jesus doesn't do that, this is my personal opinion, he saw the sincerity in this scribe's heart. I truly believe that he's going to see it. So his answer is immediate. It's direct. Look at verse 29. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So the top priority, the most important command, Jesus goes back and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel. He starts by saying, hey, listen up. That's what we'd say today. Hey, listen up. Pay attention. I'm going to break it down for you, and here it is. Now notice that Jesus goes right to Scripture as he established three truths. When he breaks this down, he starts by saying God is powerful. The Lord. That's how he starts. The Lord Yahweh, the self-existent one. The Lord God, Elohim. He is the creator. So the one who is self-existent is also the creator. This name is in the plural. Again, it gives us evidence for the Trinity, for all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit really laid out here for us. So the first thing that we see is God is powerful. Number two, we see that God is personal. Look at the phrase, our God. The Lord, our God. Very important. He is personal. May He is all-powerful. He could do whatever He wanted. And yet he's personal to each and every one of us. Not just as a collective. Now he is collective. He loves us all. But he is personal individually to each one of us. And we must never forget that. He is powerful and he is personal. Warren Wearsby points out that Jesus' answer reveals that we are to live not by rules, but by relationships. Are rules important? Absolutely. But if all it is is the rules, we're going to miss so much. Jesus doesn't want us to have a religion because we could never keep all 613 commandments, right? We have trouble keeping the 10 commandments, let alone 613. So Jesus died on the cross for us and he did it because he's personal and he wants a relationship with us and we must always, always remember that. And then number three, God is preeminent. We see Yahweh is unique. The Lord is one. Now, when this is written in Deuteronomy, when this is written, the Israelites are about to cross over into the promised land. And as they are ready to cross over into the promised land, they're going to enter a land with about 40 groups of people. It's filled with polytheism, pantheism, everything that they could possibly imagine is going to be laid in front of that. And during all of this pluralism, they must never forget that only, there is only one God. And he is Yahweh, he is Elohim, and he is the only God, and that is who they are to serve. He is preeminent, he is first and foremost of all. That's a good word for us to fully understand. So the answer that Jesus gives as we break it down, it's twofold here. I, I love how he, he starts in verse 30, love God with all you have. That's, that's it. Love God with all you have. Look at, look at verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The phrase, and you shall love, Jesus could have used any one of the Greek forms of love. 
He could have said, hey, just have some brotherly love. Just have some chocolate love. What's he, what, what, what's he say here? He says, I want you to have agape love. I want you to have a love that is unconditional. I want you to have a love that even when you don't feel like loving, you're going to love anyways. And, and, and actually, the way that Jesus writes this, he says, and you shall love, it's actually you will love. <laughs> Guess what? Christians, you don't have a choice. You will love. You don't have a choice in the matter. You have been called to love. And guess what? There's not a lot of that happening today. But as Christians, we have been called to love. Love is more than a feeling. A lot of times we go, oh, love, it's an emotion. No, it's an action. It is a verb. Love is primarily an action. Jesus could have chosen any one of those, but he said, agape. It's the never-ending love. Even when you don't feel like loving, you will love. That's what we've been called to do. And then love is also comprehensive. The word all is laid out there, right? You shall love, and it is all. And it is used four times, and literally it says the entire, the whole. You will love with all that you have. By describing the heart, mind, body, and soul, no area is left out. Well, I'm going to keep this part back so I can still have a little bit of hate right here. No, no. All. It's an all-encompassing love laid out before us with devotion in our hearts. We are going to love. As, John, as Jesus said in John 4, 24, we're to worship him in spirit and truth. So God's, God's love for us should drive out any lukewarmness that is in our hearts. Anything that we're holding on to, that we're like, oh, I don't know how I should really feel about this. God says love. God says that is what we have been called to do, is to love. So the first part of Jesus' answer gives and covers the vertical dimension, love God, right? But now... And this is the hard one. So loving God, that's easy because he loves us and he takes care of us and he's up there and we really don't see him. So it's easy to say that we love God. But then he goes, okay, vertical, yes. Uh, uh, let's go horizontal. Love people. Yeah, are you sure? Can I love them some of the times? Like, do I have to love them all of the time? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're told. Love your neighbor as yourself. True to form, Jesus goes to Scripture again, and this time, in verse 31, he's going to quote Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. The second is this, you shall love the Lord, your, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The people that were there that day, they did not see this coming at all. Because these two Scriptures, the, these two commandments were never linked Love God, love people. They always said love God and maybe love your neighbor. And then they're going to argue about who your neighbor is anyways throughout all of this. But no rabbi, no teacher had ever tried to command both of these and put them together to sum up all of Scripture and saying love God and love people. Notice again, it is the agape form that is laid out for us. 
Even when we don't feel like loving our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to love them. Even though there's that person that is sitting across from us at the lunch table and they're chomping on their gum and they're chewing with their mouth open, guess what? You still have to love them. And they're talking about you and you really don't like them, you gotta love them. And they wanna wear their mask and they don't wanna wear their mask, guess what? You gotta love them. They wanna get the shot, they don't wanna get the shot, guess what? Thank you. Yes. Well, you're going to give me all my soapbox. I'm going to stand up on this podium here in a second. Because I'll tell you what, some of the things that I have seen coming out of this nation here recently. Oh, we are a nation for God. No, we're not. Not the way we're acting. I see people on both sides going to school board meetings who are yelling and cursing and saying that they love God. Stop it. Just stop. Love. Vertically, love God. Horizontally, love our brothers and sisters, even when they don't agree with us, even when we don't agree with them. In Christian love, we are called to love them. One commentator puts it like this. We're to love God more than ourselves and our neighbor as ourselves, thus The life that really counts is concerned first with God and then with others. That's what it's all about. In the heart of the book of Leviticus, if you've ever sat down and read through the book of Leviticus, we read through, some of you are like, yeah, I couldn't make it. It's kind of gory, right? Like some of it is all about animal sacrifices, ew. It's all about the law, ew. But then we get this verse in chapter 19, Love your neighbor. And all of that other stuff, we find this hidden gem. Listen to all of Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That means that we must give up our grudges give up our grievances, and refuse to take vengeance on someone who has wronged us. Give up that right. Because we have been called to love God and to love others as ourselves. That's what it all comes down to. I sat down this week and I read through Leviticus chapter 19 and I discovered that a call to care for others is listed 16 times to the identity of God. When we break it down, we're just given one example of all of this, but when we truly break it all the way down and we look through the Old Testament, God wants his people to care for strangers because they themselves were once strangers. We go all the way to the, back to the very beginning. Abraham, Abraham was a migrant. Naomi, she migrated to Moab. Ruth, the Moabitess, eventually immigrated to Israel. Joseph, a victim of human trafficking, and then an alien in Egypt. The whole nation of the whole nation of Israel had an immigrant status in Egypt for four hundred years. Jesus has refugee status when him and his family have to flee to Egypt. Okay, so. God is trying to tell the people to fully understand 
that we need to see everyone as being on equal playing field. And since he is the Lord, I must love him and I must love those whom he loves. That is what we have been called to truly do. And then Jesus states this. He says, there is no other commandment greater than these. It's interesting that though the man, this man asked for one of the greatest commandments, Jesus gives him what? He gives him two. But he sums them up by saying commandment. He gives two, but he says this is one commandment. And to show that these two commandments are complementary. If we want to love God, we must love his people as well. I love God. Why? Because he first loved me. And that's what I always have to remember. The main thing we must do is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's what it comes down to. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, Jesus puts it like this. He says, on these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. I mean, it's easy, again, it's easy to say that we love God. It's another matter to say that we love our neighbors. I like the honesty of one guy who says, to love the world, that's no chore to me. My big trouble is the guy next door. Someone else remarked, to dwell above with the saints we love will be grace and glory. But to live with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. Did you notice that Jesus is not saying that we should just tolerate our neighbors? To just be nice to them? He's telling us to love them. And again, a little background here to understand, because it was always a big disputed thing, who is my neighbor? Well, when they broke that word down, it actually comes from two words to understand neighbor. It's the one that had a farm that was nearest to me. So I had to be nice to the guy who had a farm right beside me, but that was it, the person that's right here, that's on the other side of the fence that I don't like, that person, not the person that lives five doors over. Okay, so, so he, it needed to be broken down for them to fully understand all of who was my friend, who was my neighbor, and who was my enemy. And really, what it really comes down to, he wasn't really getting to the point of who is my neighbor, but who is my enemy. That's really what he wanted to know. To ask who is my neighbor is to look for a loophole. We're good at that, right? We want to find every loophole that we possibly can, especially when it comes to our taxes, right? Like, we're looking for every loophole. But even here, the Jewish people, they wanted to find the loophole to know who was their friend and who wasn't their friend. Jesus concludes all of this narrative with these words. Luke chapter 10, verse 28 says, Do this and you will live. Loving our neighbors is life-giving. Loving our neighbors is life-giving. It's also exhausting but it is life-giving. Here are a couple practical questions that we could truly ask. How can I get better at what Jesus says matters most? How can I be the best neighbor that I can? Here's another. If I moved out of my house today, would the people in my community even know? If I moved out of my house today, would my neighbors would it matter to them that I'm gone? Have I made a difference? Or are they going to go, glad he's gone. I didn't even know he lived there. 
Let's turn the noun neighbor into a verb and break it down. We're going to use the acronym BLESS, okay? So, BLESS. Begin with prayer. Just start by beginning with prayer. The best thing that we could possibly do before we talk to our neighbor is go to the Lord and just pray. Pray for grace. Pray for love in our own lives. Pray for understanding. But always, always, always begin with prayer. And then listen with purpose. Listen with purpose. Take the time to listen to the needs, the struggles, the pain of people that are around you. Be present. If you really want to bless someone, you have to be present. Make yourself an easy person to bump into. Make make it easy for the person to know that they can come to you and talk to you. The E, well, if you want to make it easy for someone to bump into you, the E is eat together. Because you kind of get a little wider and they're easier to bump into, right? Look for ways to have a cup of coffee. Look for ways to have a meal. Look for ways to go find dessert. Find whatever way that you can to make it easy for someone to be able to talk to you. What's the best thing that you could possibly do? The first S is serve in love. Serve in love. Look for ways. Constantly look for ways to respond to the needs of those that are around you. Look for the struggles that you can help with. Look for the pain that you can help ease. When you see a need, meet that need. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24, Paul says this. He says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Don't just look to make out for the best yourself, but look for the best of those around you. And then lastly, share your story. Share your story. When the time is right, share your story of how Jesus has impacted your life. There's a lot of people that are really, really scared to share their faith. I don't know what to say. And, and what if they ask me the tough question of, of what I believe about the end times? And, and what if they ask me a question about the beast that's going to come out of the sea? And, and what if they ask a, um, a question about a scripture that I'm really not for sure where it's tied to? What do I do? Change the subject. No, teasing. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you thought I was serious there. No, no. <laughs> Say, hey, um, I don't know the answer, but I'll get it for you. Share, share your story. Just share your story. And then help them seek the answers that they need. Best thing that you could possibly do. How do we wrap all this up? How do we bring all of this together? Well, When we go back to the scriptures, we're going to find out that this scribe, this man who had come to Jesus, he was really close, but he was still so far away. When we go back to this close encounter, in verse 32, the scribe responds to Jesus. He says, you are right. I love that. (laughs) He looks at Jesus, and he says, you're right. Duh. Jesus didn't do that, okay? He says, you're right. You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no one else or no other besides him. The man then adds this. He says, and to love him with all of your heart and with all of the understanding and with all of the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more 
than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So everything else that's in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, all of that is just kind of there. It all boils down, yeah, Jesus, you're right. It boils down to what you just said. He knew his Bible. And he was alluding to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's what it all comes down to. To obey is better than sacrifice. And this is, we go to thir- verse 34, and Jesus, he's going to respond to this scribe, and he's going to say, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That phrase, not far, is in the emphatic Greek. He was close, but he wasn't in the kingdom. He, he was good, but he wasn't good enough. He was not far, but yet he was so, so far away. He, he was ready. He, he, he could have been on the precipice of receiving Jesus, yet he didn't receive him at that moment. He was close, but there was still this huge chasm that separated him from the love of Christ. And that's what we see here. He was religious, but did not have the saving relationship of the Savior. Right answers alone will not get you to heaven. The only way is by repenting of your sins and accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is your substitute. He is your Savior. He is the only way to get over that chasm. And we have, we, we, we have no understanding here that this scribe accepted Jesus. And it's why Jesus says those words, you're so close to the kingdom, yet so, so far away. Now here's the thing, I'm not saying that if he would have answered right and, and loving your neighbor, that's going to get you into heaven and all we have to do is just love and that's what gets us into heaven. That, that, that's not what I'm saying, but it's a huge factor in getting us to that point. We all fall short of the glory of Jesus Christ. We have all sinned. And we all need a Savior. That's what it comes down to. Here's the good news today. God is not far from you. Acts chapter 17, verse 27. That they should seek God. And perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. All we have to be willing to do is to reach out and extend our hand. You ever just been in an absolute dark chasm and you're trying to find your way through your house because the the lights have went out and you're, you're, you're trying to search through the house and it's a new moon. There's no moon whatsoever. It is pitch black in your house and you're trying to find your way through and trying not to, to step on the dog bone. You're trying not to step on the kid's toy or whatever it is and kick the chair or the stool that's right in front of you. And Jesus' hand is extended out and he's ready to take us but we have to be willing to accept it. This is how this encounter ends. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. (laughs) There's a double negative meaning that absolutely no one would question Jesus again before his death. Not in this way. Why is that? Because some of us don't really want to hear the answers that Jesus gives. 
there are many who will hear Jesus, who will listen to the words, but never accept Him as their Lord and Savior. Don't be in that boat. If you are feeling that tug right now today, and here's the thing, listen to me. We talked about this at the beginning. Love is an action, it is a verb. It's not just about an emotion. And I'm not trying to pull on your heartstrings, but I want you to have a full understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And I want you to understand that there is only one way to get to heaven, and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. He is the only way. Do you love anything more than Jesus? Is there a possession in your life that you feel is more important, a person, a pleasure? You know, a part of Peter's restoration, you know, Peter is going to deny Jesus three times, and we're going to come to that here in a few weeks. But in all of that, he denies Jesus three times, but now we come to John chapter 21, and Jesus is going to reinstate Peter He's going to say, John chapter 21, verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, what I want you to understand is that that encounter, Jesus is asking him, Peter, do you agape me? Peter, do you unconditionally love me? Do you know Peter's response? He says, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. Jesus asks again, Hey, uh, Simon Peter, do you love me unconditionally? Peter says, Hey, I, I love you like a brother. Third encounter, Jesus meets Peter right where he's at. Because on the third time, the Greek language tells us Jesus looked at Peter and he says, hey, hey, Peter, do you phileo me? Peter says, haven't you been listening to what I've been saying? Yes, Lord, I phileo you. And he loved him like a brother at that moment. And Jesus met him where he's at. Now, here's the thing. Peter didn't stay there. Because in a very, very short while, Jesus is going to ascend. And when Jesus ascends, Peter is going to stand up on the day of Pentecost. And he is going to preach one of the most amazing sermons. And he's going to look out at all of the people there. And he's going to say, and let me tell you, if he just loved him as a brother, Peter still would have been hiding. But at this moment, Peter was changed. And when he was changed, he looked at the people that were standing there in all of Jerusalem, still 100,000 people. That he looked out and he says, hey... Y'all are the ones that killed Jesus. You need to repent of that. But he wasn't afraid for his life. His life changed. And why did he point out all of that to those people? Because he didn't want them. Peter and all of the other disciples didn't want those people to stay where they were lost for all of eternity. And he wanted them to repent and to turn to Jesus. And that is now our call. If you've accepted Jesus, now it's your turn to get out there and to be changed and make a difference by loving your neighbor. That's what we've been called to do. So if you're here today, we're going to sing a song called I Will Follow as our invitation song. And as we sing that song, I just want you to really contemplate where you're at. 
and I'm going to pray for us. And if you have a decision to make, if something needs to change in your life, I'm going to be in the back. The elders are going to be back. We'd love to talk with you. We're going to take communion. The communion's on the side, and in the back, you can go ahead and and get your communion. I'm going to pray for communion. I'm going to pray for us as a congregation, as a family, that we say, hey, there's always room at the table for one more, that we're a family, but we're going we're, we're to make it as big of a family as we can possibly make it. Jesus loves each and every one of us, and we need to always remember that. If you have a decision to make this morning, today is the day that you can make that commitment. Don't wait. Let's pray. Almighty Father, it is such a blessing and an honor to worship you. Father, through our praise, through of taking communion, of, of listening to your word, uh, of the praise uh, of prayer before you, Lord, we just, we're so thankful that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die to give us the words that we have been reading here and Father, that we will not just stay the same, that we will be changed. And Father, whatever decision we need to make, whether that decision is accepting you for our very first time, that that, that, that decision will be made. Father, whether it's deciding, hey, I, I, need, to, I need to make a change in my life. I, I, I've been living for you, but I'm not living up to my full potential. And I want, a better jo- I want to do a better job of it. If somebody's here and needs prayer in their life, Father, that that they will seek someone out to pray with them, to help them get through the struggle in their life. And Father, as we partake of communion, we remember the ultimate sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. That as you sat with your disciples in that upper room, you instituted the Lord's Supper to help us to remember the ultimate sacrifice, that we take this bread that represents your body, that that was beaten, that was bruised. Father, you lived, your son lived a human life. He understands all of our pain, all of our struggles. But Father, he was also fully God. And it was his blood that was our sacrifice and that he is our high priest and that we remember that he made that sacrifice, that the veil is torn and that we have full access before you. Father, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to worship you here today. We pray all of this in your son's name.